Well, good morning. Isn't the sound of schmoozing great? <laughs> I think it's Hebrew, or at least Yiddish, right, Norm? Yeah. Aren't you glad there's not snow this morning for a change? Praise God. Although, praise God for the snow, it falls and green things come out of the earth. Amen? But it's nice to see blue sky again, isn't it? Awesome. You never know what to expect from the weather in Colorado, do you? And um, when George was reading from John, the story of the triumphal entry, I was thinking of expectations as well as he read. I wonder, I wonder what they were expecting that day. Not in the weather, but expecting 2,000 years ago when Jesus made his way down the Mount of Olives and into Jerusalem. What were they expecting, do you think, with their shouts of Hoshana, Hoshana, which means save us, save us? What were those people of God expecting of the one that they shouted, comes in the name of the Lord, and that they identified in their shout as our King of Israel. Save us, our King of Israel, who comes in the name of the Lord, they shouted as they waved their palm branches, that zealot symbol of the nation of Israel. What were they expecting, do you think? God's judgment on the Romans, perhaps? Were they expecting that David's throne and their nation finally be restored to Jewish hands? Literally all the historical and biblical evidence we have says yes to that question. That's exactly what they were expecting as they shouted, Save us, King of Israel. They certainly, they certainly weren't expecting that five days later, their king coming in the name of the Lord to save them would be dead. Five short days later, this vast crowd of people, so great a crowd, the Pharisees called them the whole world, five short days later, all their expectations vanished, gone, unmet. They were expecting deliverance from Roman oppression. Instead, all they got was yet another executed Jew at the hands of the Romans and even their own leaders. No, it wasn't at all what they were expecting. You know, expectations, expectations are very, very powerful. When our, expect, when our expectations are met, we feel great. Don't we? We feel justified satisfied. It feels great when our expectations are met. But when our expectations are not met, we don't feel great. In fact, we often feel cheated and defeated and maybe even hopeless when our expectations aren't met. Our expectations are indeed very, very powerful. To a very great extent, 
They play a huge role in governing how we feel about anything and everything, how we feel about how anything and everything turns out really governed by what our expectations are growing in, going in in a, in a huge way. When our expectations are met, we feel great. When they're not met, we feel awful. And our expectations in this sense really drive how we feel about things, don't they? One season, one season where our expectations usually run very high is Christmas. Right? We even, before Christmas, we celebrate Advent as a time of anticipating, right? Expecting the coming of Jesus. And we sing songs like, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And as is our cultural custom, we have expectations surrounding exchanging gifts on Christmas, don't we? That anticipation, that expectation leading up to opening presents can run really, really high, can it? Especially when we were kids. Sneaking downstairs at dawn, peeking over the banister or around the corner at the presents under the tree. Wondering if 5 a.m. is too early to go wake mom and dad. We're thrilled with the anticipation and expectation of opening Christmas present. Wonder what's in there. Right? See, I know. But there's not a person in here who wonders. Aren't you wondering what's in here? You hear that? Want to find out? See, it'd be cruel if I just left it there the whole sermon, never opened it. I know, you kids especially, you'd come after, up after, tear this thing open, right? Find out what's in this box. All right, let's find out what's in there. Now, uh, really a kid needs to open it. So I asked my daughter, Danny, if she wanted to do it or Ben, and she volunteered her brother, Ben. So come on up, Ben. You can get back to her later. You can get back at her later, right? All right, it's Christmas morning. Are you excited? Yeah. You wait to see what's in there? You anticipate, right? Okay, so go for it. Oh, I wonder what's in there. Do any of you wonder what's in there? You can say, wonder what's in there. That's good. You made sure. Well, it's a box. What she got there, Ben? Yay, broccoli. It's broccoli. Now, <laughs> how many of you are expecting broccoli? <laughs> A couple of you, first service. We were. Yeah. Were you expecting broccoli, Ben? No. Maybe. Do you remember? Yes. <laughs> years ago, years ago, um, I learned just how powerful and gripping circumstances uh, or our expectations surrounding the circumstances of Christmas and otherwise can be. Ben was only four years old at the time, and uh, there he is. What do you think? Oh, he's so cute. Handsome now, but cute then. And, you know, like most of you parents out there, right, 
You put that broccoli quickly away. I wonder why. <laughs> like most of you parents out there, right, good parents, we try to get our kids to eat their vegetables, anything green, right? Or, except candy, I guess, is green. But Well, Ben hated broccoli. You still hate broccoli? Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. He hated broccoli. When he was four, when he was four, he loved it. But being the good son that he was, and still is, usually, and because he knew that Jill and I wanted him to like broccoli, and, you know, this little four-year-old, he wanted to please us so badly, so he would always adamantly insist, this little four-year-old, I love broccoli, mommy and daddy, I just love it. Do you remember that? Yeah. Well, we knew, we knew he really hated broccoli is just trying to tell us that because it's what we wanted to hear. And so we'd say back to him, okay, Ben, you don't have to tell us what we want to hear. We know, honey, you don't like broccoli. It's okay. We still like you to eat it. But we know you don't like it. Only to hear Ben redouble his adamant declaration, but I do like it, Mommy and Daddy. I love broccoli. More than anything in the world, I love broccoli. So then one day... I tried a different tact just to try to undermine this false statement, you know, that he loves broccoli. So one day I said to him, well, tell you what, Ben, if you like broccoli that much, I'm going to ask Santa this year that all he gives you for Christmas is broccoli. Okay? Is that really putting pressure on this little four-year-old? Do you remember that? You know, four is kind of on the, the edge of memory, right? You know, I remember it, he said. And I remember that little four-year-old, you know, looking up at me. And, you know, oh, man, you know, trusting everything that you say. Just, it's so easy just to tease kids. But I remember him looking up at me, and, and, and it shook him. Oh, he's going to tell Santa I better come clean. I could see the wheels turning, his little four-year-old head. And, but you know what? It only shook him a bit. He may have wavered in his conviction of loving broccoli, but it it didn't break him. He didn't break. He stuck to his guns. Oh, tell Santa? Well, okay, Daddy. You know, because I love broccoli. And, you know, throughout the year, this went on, right, month, from time to time, I would tease Ben that I was really going to tell Santa that all he wanted for Christmas was broccoli. Now, I found out later, you know, behind my back, something strengthening his fortitude here, Ben was going to Jill for reassurance that I was just kidding. <laughs> you know, he'd leave the room after, le- okay, Danny, all right, you go ahead and tell Santa, because I love broccoli. And then he'd walk out of the room. Go find- Mommy! Daddy's not really going to tell Santa, right, that all I want for Christmas is broccoli, is he? You know, because he he couldn't tell if I was serious, right? And so Jill would reassure him, uh, just kidding, and this went on for the better part of the whole year. And then came Christmas. I made sure, I made sure that I was Santa that night, although it wasn't quite Christmas morning yet. Right, I think we were at my folks' house, so it was just before, maybe the night before. I'm, I, I don't think it was Christmas morning. And so I made sure I was Santa, so I would get to pass out the presents. 
And so I made sure that my little four-year-old boy, I made sure that he got a particular (laughs) wrapped present for his very first present. And guess, just guess what I put in there. Go ahead, whip it out. Just guess what I put in there. We'll do it again. Yeah, it's, a, it's a broccoli. That's right. So I figured this would be a really funny joke. I didn't tell Jill. I didn't tell, I just kept this all in my, it's going to be, you know, dad's joke. going to be my joke that I get to just spring on everybody. And everybody would think it was really funny. Ha, ha, ha. Well, this excited little boy tore into his very first present, his face all smiles, thrilled, his expectations running as high as any four-year-old's expectations can run. And he got on the paper, he took it off the box, reached in, he pulled out this big old piece of broccoli, and I started, you know, to get ready to laugh with him, and this little guy bursts into tears, just, oh, weeping. He's holding up and I go, right, Dad, you told Broccoli. <laughs> oh. I can still remember the looks of death that I got from Jill and my parents. <laughs> yes, I know. One of my worst moments ever as a father, Ben. (laughs) Can you ever forgive me? I know you've been deeply scarred for life at so many profound levels. Will you forgive me? Yes. Yeah, okay, thank you. Hey, give him a hand. It's tough being a preacher. Go ahead, you take your broccoli. Go on down. You can chew on that during the service if you want. Expectations, ex- those expectations can be very, very, very powerful, can't they? You know, broccoli for Christmas, broccoli for Christmas was not at all what Ben was expecting. And a dead king for Passover was not at all what God's people were expecting. And with expectations dashed, they were very, very, very disappointed. Expectations are very, very powerful in how we feel. And it's tough. You know, it's, it's really tough for us to get through our expectations that are not being met as we expected. Tough for us to get through the feelings that are associated with expectations not met. Expectations, did you know, play a huge role during the week of Passover, both in the Bible times and today. One night in particular during Passover is set aside for these expectations. It's the night of the Passover Seder or meal itself. After the meal... After all the liturgical retelling and eating and cups and remembering of how God freed Israel from Egypt and led them through the wilderness to the promised land, following all of that comes a time Jews call Lyel Shimurim. Say Lyel Shimurim. Lyel means night. 
And Shimmerim means watching. So a translation of Lyle Shimmerim is a night of watching. Jews get together with their families in their homes for a night of watching. Now some, um, um, some Jews celebrate it as part of the Passover Seder itself, but others will do it afterward, and they'll literally watch all night long. They won't go to sleep. They'll stay up all night. They'll pull an all-nighter, a night of watching. And the watching that they would do was a watching full of expectation. Specifically, the expectation of God's protection, the expectation that God, too, was watching over His people. So a night of watching happens on the Passover night, following the Passover Seder, watching for God to protect His people, expecting that whatever life's circumstances, God will come through and protect His people. Now, where do you suppose this tradition of a night of expectant watching came from? Now, if you're visiting today, we have, for the past couple of months, been spending time in Exodus. And it just so happens that Exodus is where this night of watching, night of expectation of God's protection began. It began in Exodus. You remember the story. Moses informs Pharaoh that at midnight, God will pass through Egypt and take the life of all the firstborn sons of the Egyptians, including their cattle. The tenth plague, we call it. And then Moses tells all the people of Israel that in order to avoid the tenth plague themselves, they need to take a perfect lamb, butcher it for their evening meal, and then take the blood from that lamb and spread it on the top, the lentil, the top and the sides of their doorposts and door frames to their houses. God tells them... That when he goes through Egypt that night, he will not permit the destroyer, death, to enter any house that has this lamb's blood on the doorframe. And then the author of Exodus tells us this. Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt, on this night... All the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. And that's where that phrase, Lyle Shimmerim, appears in the Bible. It's the only verse that appears in the Bible, interestingly enough, and twice in that same verse, Exodus 12, verse 42, where it's translated as night and kept vigil in English. The first time the phrase is used, it assures the people that God is indeed keeping watch over them, protecting them, bringing them out of Egypt. And the second time Lyle Shimmerim is used, God commands Israel to watch through that night as well with him, even as death made its way from house to house, passing over those houses with the blood of the Lamb. And can we even imagine what that very first night of watching was like in Egypt? What were they expecting as they watched through that night? You know, when Moses told them to butcher a lamb, do you know what 
Do you know that they all gasped? A lamb? Moses, did you say butcher a lamb? That's a sacred animal to the gods of Egypt, Moses. You know that. To kill a lamb is punishable by death, Moses. You know that. And you not only want us to kill this Egyptian sacred animal, but you want us to paint its blood up and down and across on the door frames of our houses for all the Egyptians to see what we did? Have you lost your mind, Moses? Have you any idea what they'll do to us, Moses? Moses, this is not at all what we were expecting. But they did it anyway, the Bible tells us. They made their choice. And as they watched through the night during that very first Lyle Shimmerim, they must have felt a measure of fear even terror, not only at the death lurking throughout Egypt, stalking firstborn Egyptian sons, but also, what if the Egyptians come and see what we've done to these sacred animals and punish us? This is not at all what they were expecting. Soon after, the Israelites are pinned up against the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army. 600 of the best chariots in Egypt, the Bible says. And then it adds, and all the rest of the chariots. So 600 and more, all the chariots charging after them. And God says to Moses, your stick, Moses, take your stick, hold it up. And an east wind blows all night long, cutting a path through the Red Sea. Incidentally, for you Exodus series fanatics the last two months. God divides and separates land from water. A highly creative act reminiscent of the creation in Genesis. Yes? Showing who is creator? The east wind blows all night long cutting a path of dry ground through the Red Sea. What was that night? of watching like, I wonder, for those Israelites on the shores of the Red Sea. Listening to the howl of that eastern wind. The roar of the sea as it piled up on either side of that cut, that path of dry ground. And listening to the sounds of the Egyptian chariots clattering in the not too far distance the snort of their war stallions, the Egyptian officers barking their orders, confused a bit for now, held held at bay a bit for now in darkness as the pillar of God stood between Israel and the Egyptians, for now at least, but for how long? As we glance nervously over watching. This is not at all what they were expecting. And then, with the path cut through the Red Sea, Moses gives the order, okay, everybody, get in. Get in? Get in where? In there? Between those walls of water? Yeah, right. 
You've got to be kidding me, Moses. See, we make that walk through the Red Sea a dance for the Israelites. That comes later. They were by nature desert people, terrified of water to begin with. Not many, history tells us, if any, could swim. You parents and grandparents, you put yourself there along that shore that day, surrounded by your kids and your grandkids. Are you going to take your grandkids in there? Into the abyss? You've got no guarantee that the water's going to stay up there like that. You've no guarantee the wind will hold and that path stay open. We have to go through there? Moses? Got a better idea. Why don't you take that stick and stretch it out over the Egyptians and they all fall over dead? We have to go through there? There's a brief bit of wry humor, I think, in this however tense event. The people of Israel are crying out to God, whining a bit to Moses, really. Why did you bring us out in the desert to die? Aren't there enough graves in Egypt? What have you done to us? Didn't we tell you to just leave us alone and let us serve the Egyptians? And so Moses, it seems, in turn, brings the people's concerns before God. (laughs) What God says in reply just cracks me up. God says, why are you crying out to me? Move! I just think that's so funny. There's a great lesson there about the partnership we have with God, who, amen, does it all by grace, and a God also, however, who asks of us, requires of us our all. It's always a time to pray. Always. And it's always time to cry out to God. But in addition, there comes a time when it's time to move. I think of Ruth and Boaz. Boaz says to Ruth, Whoa, I will bring your concerns before the Lord and pray to God that he take care of you. And Ruth says, That's just great. Why don't you just marry me, Mr. Man, and take care of me yourself? Into the sea, Moses? Are you serious? This is not at all what we were expecting. There's one last place that I'd like to take you this morning. One last night of watching and expectation. Come with me, won't you, to a particular Passover in history. The year is around 30 A.D. and a very famous and well-known and well-loved Jewish rabbi and his Talmudim, his disciples, have just finished the Passover Seder. And they make their way back to where they were spending the night, a place called Gat Shemini on the Mount of Olives. And the rabbi turns to his disciples and says, Watch with me. Well, of course, Jesus told his disciples to watch with him that night. It's Lyle Shemarim, the night of watching. The night of watching for what? God's protection. Expecting His protection. 
the night of watching that God commanded in Exodus 12 be done for generations. And so they're watching expectantly for God's protection. Jesus goes ahead of them and prays, the Bible says. And the Bible tells us in Matthew that Jesus began to be sorrowful and troubled. In Mark, deeply distressed and troubled. In Greek, that phrase carries with it a sense of sudden, shocking awareness. What were Jesus' expectations during that night of watching and praying to His Father in heaven? Was He even then expecting God's protection? Well, he asked his father that what was about to happen be taken from him. Hmm. Was he even then, in his humanity at least, oh, let him be fully human too? Was he even then, on the night of expectant watching, expecting God's protection, begging for it even? Watch with me, Peter! James! John! Watch with me, please. Destroyer, death is out again tonight. I can sense him. And he's coming. Watch with me for God's protection, guys. Watch with me. And the disciples kept falling asleep. And as all of God's people watched that night, watched for God's expected protection, for them, God allowed the destroyer to get through to this certain firstborn son, to the one called the perfect Lamb of God. For this time, once and for all, it needed to be His blood on their door frames to protect God's people from death and to get them through a chaotic sea to the other side. As all Israel watched for God to come through and free them from bondage to save them, maybe those cries of Hoshana still echoing in the heavens. And as they had done for every year for some 1,300 years during Lyle Shimmerim, Israel watched for God to come through for them. And you know what? God was indeed watching them that night, watching over His people and protecting them once and for all. But not in a way that they or anyone expected. 
Jesus coming down the Mount of Olives on that very first Palm Sunday was not at all what they expected. Huddling together behind door frames smeared with the blood of the sacred Egyptian lambs was not at all what they expected. Scurrying through walls of watery chaos, clinging to their children in terror while Egyptian chariots hunted them down, hot on their heels after them was not at all what they expected. A king, a Messiah, crucified and dead was not at all what they expected. And how about you? How about us? Is your life and experience everything you expected? Or is your life like mine? Where God often asks me to watch expectantly with him and for him through times and experiences that are not at all what I was expecting. Was that diagnosis you received expected? Did you expect to become a cancer patient? Was your miscarriage expected? Did you expect to be laid off from work? Or for the money to run out? Did you expect your marriage to struggle so? And even fail? Did you expect to still be single? Did you expect your kids to make that poor choice? Were you expecting your parents to fail you like that? I have no doubt if we passed the mic around the room this morning, we could spend all day listening to the tough, unexpected things in life. Has God asked you to watch with Him through the times and experiences that are not at all what you expected? Expectations are very, very powerful. When they're met, we feel great. When they're not met, we feel cheated and defeated even hopeless. And when they're not met and we're feeling cheated and defeated and hopeless, what will we do? God said to Israel, when their expectations weren't met, hey, watch with me through the unexpected too. Jesus said to his disciples, watch with me through the unexpected as well. Watch for God's protection because rest assured, come what may, he who watches over Israel slumbers not nor sleeps. Even if watching disciples sometimes do.
I have an assignment for you this week on your way to Resurrection Day next Sunday. During this week that begins and ends in a way God's people did not expect, a week that began with a Palm Sunday and ended in a death that was not at all what they were expecting, would you take the time, make time this week to reflect a bit on those hard things, those unexpected things in your life and experience? And as you reflect on them, would you also consider God's words to Israel in Egypt, watch with me, and Jesus' words to his disciples the night before he was brutally murdered, watch with me. And despite and even through your current hardships, would you try and watch with God, watch with Jesus, and watch expecting Seeking his love and protection? And it might be very difficult for you to do. I I know it will be for me. It's tough for me to reflect on the hard things in life. I'd rather avoid dwelling on it. And when our expectations aren't met, We sometimes don't feel much like watching for God's protection when it seems like he's not there to begin with. Maybe we're even angry or upset with God. But your mission this week, at least, should you choose to accept it, maybe it's mission impossible, but your mission is to try and reflect on where your expectations have not been met in life. And try and watch expectantly for God's love and protection. If you would only try, so help you God. At the very least, you will come well prepared for our time together next week on Easter when we will see very clearly that our God is indeed a God who watches over his people and doesn't slumber or sleep. And at most, if you try, to watch for God through failed expectations this week. At most, you may see God in the midst of ruined expectations and feel Him right there with you in it, loving and protecting and holding you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, wow, when Jesus came down the Mount of Olives that day 2,000 years ago, what a sight. And I wonder, Father, if part of the reason, at least, when he got to the bottom of all of that praise and worship, I wonder if part of the reason that he broke down and wept is because he saw what was coming, at least with the failed expectations of his people. And it broke his heart. Broke his heart that they missed him by a mile in expecting this warrior king who would judge and kill the Romans. When instead, he came to die for the Romans 
and everyone who would believe by giving his life. Father, you know how hard it is for us to deal with failed expectations. And Father, when life doesn't go as we expect, would you give us the courage, the inclination, the desire to push through those feelings and to watch more stubbornly than ever, expectantly, for your love and protection. And when we do that, Father, I ask you in Jesus' name, Father, keep your promise that when we seek you in that way, we will find you. And as my brothers and sisters here this morning, this week, reflect on ruined expectations and maybe turn again for the first time to seek again hard watching for you and with you expectantly. Oh, Father, may they find you. Run to them. Show them that you've been there all along. Allow them to feel deeply in the core of their hopelessness that you're there, loving and protecting. We love you. And in the amazing name of Jesus, our Lord and Messiah, all God's people said, Amen. Would you stand, please, for God's benediction, this morning's benediction, God's good words, coming from a song of ascents, Psalm 121, which the people of God would sing on their way up to worship in expectation of their worship and experience of God. We're using it in, in closing, but you're about to leave and go out there. I hope you're expecting to find God out there. Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot step, slip. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next week on Resurrection Day. Go in peace.